After 33 years of working for the National Treasury Employees Union, its president, Tony Reardon, is calling it a career. He'll retire in August. When his term as president concludes, he joins me now in studio. Tony, good to have you in. Tom, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And golly, 33 years. Let's begin at the top here and let's talk about IRS itself. Kind of, I think of that as the central agency for NTEU, even though you're actually at 34 different agencies Correct. and components. But how do you think things have actually changed for the average IRS member in that third of a century? Well, I think uh, certainly things uh, have gotten uh, much more difficult for IRS employees. And I, and I would attribute that to a number of things, Tom. I think, first of all, you had uh, all, the, all the funding issues that the IRS had, really dating back to 2010, if not even a little bit earlier than that. And so as a result, um, the IRS lost uh, just tens of thousands of employees. And that certainly created a very tough environment for um, employees. But, you know, when, and when you think back to about 2013, as I recall, the IRS had to curtail a lot of uh, training that they did for employees. And so, you know, my concern for employees has been that since the IRS doesn't have the funding, doesn't have the staffing, doesn't have the training for folks, that it really has created an environment where employees are not um, set up for success the way that they should be. Now, what I'm hopeful of, certainly given the $80 billion that the uh, Inflation Reduction Act is bringing to the IRS, and now with a new commissioner, with Danny Werfel, I am hopeful that we're going to really start to see a change in all that. It seems like the IRS is always the crucible for differences of politics that really are not of the agency's doing. Because uh, you know Republicans and Democrats have long-standing differences over tax policy, over tax enforcement, and they use the IRS as kind of the proving ground for those arguments. Whereas the IRS is simply a functionary agency that carries out whatever the policy and the statutes are that it's presented with. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the sort of average American doesn't always know that. Look, it's Congress that that puts all the tax laws in place, and the IRS is simply um, uh, responsible for administering that those tax policies, uh, tax laws. And you know, the other one of the things that I tell people all the time, and I have for for many years, because they, I think the um, most Americans don't think about this as well. The IRS literally brings in ninety five to ninety six percent of our government's revenue. So they happen to be a very important um, uh, piece of our nation's economy. And, you know, I think when people start to hear some of the real story behind what the IRS delivers and what they're responsible for and how they got to be responsible for it, I think that really kind of changes often uh, the, the viewpoint. And getting back to the issue of the reduction in staff that kind of took a step function those years ago, also, 30-some years ago, most of the processing, all of the processing for tax forms, tax returns, was paper. Remember those desks that were surrounded by an array of trays for paper sorting, all this manual paperwork. That largely has gone away, I think, starting in around the late 90s with the advent of online payment. That was during the Clinton administration. So does it need the numbers that it had traditionally, given all of the automation that's come in and the technology? Well, um, certainly we are in um, 
the IRS is in desperate need of more employees. There is no question about that. And there are so many reasons why. I mean, number one, if you just think in terms of um, in call centers, you know, where, where they are required to answer phone calls from Americans. I mean, the level of service that the IRS had in responding to calls up until recent times was in the low teens and even below that. Well, the American people, the American taxpayer, have a much higher expectation of getting their phone calls answered, right? So there's certainly need of, of customer service, contact reps, to be able to respond to uh, phone calls. But also, just in terms of um, folks who are responsible for um, helping the average American that needs to go into a tax center to get questions answered, many of those offices were closed because they didn't have the staffing. And it's really our most vulnerable Americans that end up being negatively impacted because not all of them have computers. They don't don't all understand how to, you know, to work the various tax programs that are out there. They need to go in and simply be able to talk to somebody. And um, so there's a wide reason. Um, IT, you know, there, there is certainly a need for IT folks. I mean, I think we all know, or most people know, that um, the IRS is using computer systems that um, are older than I am. And I'm old. <laughs> so, 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 you know, I mean, there has to be some work done um, in staffing across the agency, technology across the agency, training across the agency, and so much more. We're speaking with Tony Reardon. He is the president of the National Treasury Employees Union, and he's going to retire in August. We have him in the studio. And that whole, yeah, that whole modernizing question, that has been kind of a morale killer and a it's really chewed up through a lot of personnel both at the executive level and at the regular employee level because they've made so many runs since i guess around 92 is when the first modernization was kind of launched for irs and the systems were getting old then and now we're 30 years past that more than 30 years and yet the same master file system is still running in the same original code and i mean from your standpoint why has it been such an intractable thing that they've spent billions and restarted that project probably a half a dozen times. Yeah, you know, I, I I certainly don't have an inside track on on exactly what's happened in IRS leadership or management that has resulted in this. What I can tell you is that frontline employees are the ones who have ultimately really paid the price, and and I might add, um, the American taxpayer. So one of the things that I'm really hopeful of, and I've had many conversations with uh, current commissioner Danny Werfel. He is a guy that I think understands um, running a very large operation. And so I'm hopeful that he's going to be able to garner all of the resources necessary to, to be able to start to turn that. And, and I think he has a very uh, strong understanding about what needs to happen in the in the IT arena to start to turn that around because ultimately the idea has to be that um, employees have the tools and the resources that they need to do the job because one of the things that I can tell you as the national president of NTEU is when I talk to IRS employees and I have for 30 over 30 years the number one thing that they want to do they want to effectively serve the American taxpayer to a person. And so I think it's really important that the IRS provide the tools and the training and, and resources that um, employees need so they can do that. 
I guess one thing that is working in their favor, the average employee's favor, is that conditions and attitudes toward the IRS are very different than they were in the era before that reorganization under Charles Rosati. And this followed, and I hate to say it, but the jackbooted thug perception era. So in that sense, there has been progress. Well, yeah, I think there I think there has been, but you know, the other thing that we have to keep in mind, and and this is for me, um, I, I guess what I would describe as a really sort of sad part of our history around the IRS. I mean, we've all heard, whether it's on the floor of Congress, in the media, but some folks talking about, for example, the eighty-seven thousand. Um, armed agents that are going to come and get you. I mean, and it's and it's all lies. That is in no way, shape, or form what is happening. You know, just in terms of the eighty-seven thousand. I mean, fifty-two to fifty-six thousand of those are people who um, they're going to be replacing folks who are retiring or leaving the agency. And one of the things that I think is important for the average American taxpayer to know. At the IRS, there is something on the order of 2,000 to 2,500 folks um, who um, carry a weapon, and they're and they're and they're not even a part of the regular IRS. You know, they're agents um, and they're law enforcement types, and you know, th- so this whole notion of 87,000 armed agents is a fabrication that is, I think, really meant to. Um, uh, move forward some kind of a political agenda, and it's just not accurate. My guest is Tony Reardon, president of the National Treasury Employees Union. We spent a lot of time talking about IRS, but NTEU is much more than IRS these days. 34, I believe, 34, you're right. Yeah, tell us how it got to be so spread out, even though it still has treasury in the name. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that started, and and you know uh, Bob Tobias well, who was the national president of NTU two presidents ago. And then, uh, of course, Colleen Kelly, who preceded me as- One of my favorites. As national president. Yeah, they're both two of my favorite human beings. As is Bob, I should yeah. say. Yes, he's a regular here. Yeah, and they, they uh, I remain very close to uh, both of them. But, you know, the fact is, I think what really transpired was, you know, starting really with, um, with Bob. I mean, it probably started with Vince Connery, though I didn't personally know Vince, who was our first full-time- NTU president, and then Bob came in. Um, You know, NTEU, I think, is really well known as being a very thoughtful, professional, hard-charging union. And as a result, other agencies, employees in other agencies said, hey, wait a minute, you know, what you guys are doing for the IRS, we look at the contract, we see how strong the IRS um, uh, collective bargaining agreement is. we want that. And so it just started to build, and it's just continued to build over time. Most recently, we've added uh, three chapters uh, with the uh, Bureau of Land Management. And so we're, we're always, you know, we're always looking um, at growing as long as the um, agencies and the, and the jobs of the people that we would be uh, representing are a good fit with NTEU. Now, in the public sector, in the federal level, anyhow, unions are proscribed by law from bargaining over pay and benefits because people are in the system that they're in. So what are the elements, in your opinion, that make a good collective bargaining agreement for the federal sector? Yeah, I mean, I think there are, um, Tom, a a lot of different um, pieces of it. I mean, I think in terms of, you know, 
the all of the work that people have to do, um, NTEU through the collective bargaining agreement and unions in the federal sector in the collective bargaining agreement process have the ability to touch on how work is done, what work is done. It it deals with every single element of a uh, an employee's work life. Um, you know, in terms of work flexibilities, telework. And, and telework is one that I am particularly uh, uh, pay particular attention to now, given the the uh, pandemic and really the change in what's happened in the in the uh, workplace. People are looking for uh, for telework. So, you know, the collective bargaining agreement has obviously so many different elements, but it's all those things that I think are uh, really important. And a lot of people say, this is one of these popular tropes, that you can't fire a federal employee. It's impossible. They have jobs for life no matter how they perform. And does it look that way from your standpoint? No, it doesn't look that way at all. And I think that's just, you know, um, um, another uh, uh, inaccuracy that's that's put out there as kind of an attack on on uh, federal sector unions or unions in, in general, but certainly, as you've described it, federal sector unions. Look, the reality is that nobody wants employees who are um, not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The problem is, and what we've always maintained, if, you know, it, it's important, let me say it this way, it's important for federal managers to make sure that they are dealing um, in an honest, upfront way with employees, making sure that they're trained, making sure that they are communicating with them. If somebody is truly just not doing the job, um, there are ways to take action against them. Federal agencies have a way to do it. Certainly, NTEU and unions have their role to play in the process. Um, and you know, if if everybody does their job, the right thing typically will will happen. I wanted to ask you about a phenomenon of the Trump years, which I never really directly asked a union, and that is the unions lost their official time, and in many cases they lost their physical offices that they had in the large agencies, like IRS and some of the other unions in their in their agencies. What was that like? I mean, what well, was the real effect there? Well, let me let me just say that um, at NTEU we did not experience a, a lot of that because what happened was. Um, and you're referring to um, the uh, May 2018 executive orders that the Trump administration put forward. and But, but those executive orders did not um, impact where unions had contracts, collective bargaining agreements already in place. So we did not experience that, for example, in places like uh, the IRS or CBP, which are our two largest agencies where we uh, represent employees. We did, however, experience that in health and human services. And so what was it like? Um, it was, um, I, I would say, a morale buster for, for employees because the message was that you, federal employee, HHS, HHS employee, you don't matter. We don't care if you have a say in your work life. You're the ones on the front lines doing the work. You understand who it is, you know, the work that you're doing and what you're doing for the American people, but we don't really care about what you have to say and, and don't want your input. And that's the way that it played out. And so it was this whole issue of trust, I think, was really violated between agency leadership and, and um, uh, frontline employees. And frontline, frontline employees 
concluded, you don't care about me. And when you have that in the mix, it's a major, major problem. And are things, would you say, demonstrably better now? Yes. Yes. Without question. Um, In fact, um, we are um, uh, very close at HHS to um, finalizing a new contract. And so, you know, one of the one of the things that I would do is or I would say is that when you look at the Biden administration, they have really um, done, I think, a great deal in terms of looking at at the labor management relationship and understanding the importance of it and trying to position their agencies to be uh, to, to be a better um uh, partner, if you will, with uh, unions. We're speaking with Tony Reardon, president of the National Treasury Employees Union. He'll be retiring in August. And in the time we have left, let's talk about you. Okay. Because uh, your dad was associated with NTEU. And tell us more about your own history. Yeah, I, I would love to. So, you know, I, I, I actually was just telling this story to a group of NTEU leaders yesterday. You know, when. Um, before I came to NTEU, yes, my dad spent uh, about eight years at NTEU. He was, in fact, um, hired by Bob Tobias, uh, one of my predecessors. And then, and then after my dad left, then I was hired um, in um, 1990 by uh, Bob Tobias. And you know, I remember thinking before I ever came to NTEU, you know, and and Bob had what he called an executive committee at that time, senior managers. And I remember thinking, wow. If I were to ever be to be in a position like this, and especially at NTEU, which was an organization that I truly loved because I understood what it did for the for federal employees, and I and I saw the love my dad had for NTEU and the respect he had for the union, and so I thought, wow, if I could ever be on the executive committee at NTEU, I will have arrived. And then, lo and behold, someday I become, you know, in 2015, I become the national president. So it has been really the honor of my life um, to be the president of NTEU. And what occupies the president's time day to day? Oh, it's it's all kinds of things. It's doing um, media. You know, I, I would say that just generally speaking, the national president is the chief spokesperson of NTEU. So that certainly involves the media. It involves talking to our chapter leaders, hearing the stories of federal employees. Because the truth be told, in the NTEU story, it's the members, it's the frontline employees and our chapter leaders who are the heroes. And so I spend a lot of my time talking to them because hearing their stories is how I frame um, my discussions, whether it be with the media, the uh, with Congress, with agency heads, um, with the administration. So those are all important uh, elements, I believe. And how are relations with the other federal unions? I mean, typically in the industrial sector, there is one union that kind of covers a particular function. Do you operate like the five families and you've got a division of territory or how does that work? No, um, no, we don't. And But what I will say about the relationship is I think that the major unions federal sector unions, I think, work pretty well together and certainly have a great deal of respect for one another. Um, but and, your, and your are, style is a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's I would say that's probably true. And, you know, we don't always agree on everything, certainly. But we try to pay attention. And I've had very recent conversations, for example, with uh, President Everett Kelly at AFGE, where, you know, we've talked about ways that we can work together, because I think it is essential for the labor movement 
to come together because we all understand that there's strength in numbers. And um, so as a result, we really do try to find ways that we can complement one another, work with one another on various issues, whether it be in the courtroom um, or at the bargaining table or, or wherever it is that we can kind of help each other. And earlier you said you're old, but you seem pretty energetic to me. So post-retirement, will you really retire and fish or will you keep a a hand in this uh, this fascinating market. You know, I'm 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 still kind of kind of figuring that part of it out, Tom. I um, I'm certainly going to be doing things. I mean, I'm not I'm not planning on sitting on the couch and watching TV <laughs> for sure. Um, I'm going to you know I, I will say that there are some things in. I'm going to be moving to North Carolina. Um, my wife the and great I, migration. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I are. Uh, we've already bought a house down there, so we're going to go down there and. So I'm going to do a little bit of work with the uh, Democratic Party, or at least I'm, that's my plan. But I also want to look at ways that I can give back, whether it's working uh, um, in high schools and mentoring uh, folks. I mean, there's uh, you know young people. I, so there's a lot that I'm going to be looking at doing, and I might get my hands into some other things, too. We're, I'm still kind of looking into that. All right. Well, we wish you luck in whatever you decide to do in the future. Tony Reardon is president of the National Treasury Employees Union. Great having you in. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it.